0: my name is chris parker i'm a comedian based in tamaki makoto auckland new zealand and i regret to tell you that this is my story of being a comedian during the 2020 lockdown it's never fun hearing someone else's tackle on the lockdown experience however this is a podcast about some of the greatest things i've ever achieved and it just so happened that one of the greatest things i've ever done happened during the 2020 national lockdown in aotearoa new zealand
1: hi i'm jane rocker on this special episode actor and comedian chris parker As New Zealand's first COVID lockdown began, Chris was sent out to get supplies in preparation for a long stay home. In an Auckland Japanese shop, he found a felting kit. This would lead to some of his best work, now in two museum collections. Chris is currently in Melbourne for the Comedy Festival with his show, Gentleman. Here's Chris Parker and some of his best work.
0: So let me take you back. I was doing gigs in Auckland like any other comic. Uh, I was, a, uh, you know, my career was going well. I was feeling good about myself. I was performing regularly. And then obviously the announcement that uh, New Zealand, who had been waiting, you know, very patiently for their first COVID case, it very much felt like being in the dentist's waiting room, watching all the neighbouring countries get their mouths drilled wide open while we just sort of sat nervous and waiting Knowing that we would be next. And inevitably, that day came with our first case confirmed in Aotearoa. I remember my partner, who is a Capricorn, he's uh, very prepared, always quite stubborn and um, in a great way, uh, uh, and always sort of needs to be right. And <laughs> but also very generous, and I love him a lot. But he was like, Chris, you need to go out and get supplies. So I thought, okay. This is a lot of time we're going to be spending inside our house. I better find something to entertain myself with. So I rushed to Daiso Japan, which is those little Japanese everything shops. They sell the most incredible sort of specific products for very specific problems in your life. Like if you want something, you know, for a very niche part of your daily routine, you can guarantee that Daiso have the exact product for you like... You know, there's like little tongs to get the sleep out of you at the corner of your eyes with. So I was looking for something that, you know, a very creative, but let's say not very artistic gay man could do to entertain himself. I, I say that in the sense that I feel like, you know, anyone can make art. But that doesn't mean that everyone should make art. So I found these little felting packs, um needle felting has been really popularized in japan through the kawaii movement like cute little woolen felted objects and everything that you needed was in the pack so and they're always of like a little cute woodland animal doing some kind of activity so it'd be like a panda bear playing table tennis or a little pig Having a picnic or a fox, <laughs> um, having a martini. No, but you know, I mean, not that um, adult. It's always very cute. So I was like, oh, these are perfect. These were only $3. And I was like, everything that I need is in the thing. I don't feel like you need to be very skilled to be able to do this. So all you do is you get the flat, unrefined, unspun wool and you stab it over and over again. And it, the, the fibres of the wool begin to course and knot and um, mat in a way to create a firmer textile. A different, it transforms from wool to felt. Um, and you create this 3D sculpture. And I would take about three to four days to create one of the objects. so It was the perfect thing for me to do. And also it felt so good to be stabbing the wool with the needle it just was a very uh, relaxing and repetitive motion that, you know, when the world was in this huge kind of existential crisis of a pandemic and I was like, I don't know what like the future of one, live performances, but two, like humanity is at this point. To be able to just focus on stabbing some wool <laughs> with a needle a million times to create, you know, an owl <laughs> playing ice hockey uh, was really good for me naturally being you know a product of my generation i couldn't just uh, do that for my own enjoyment and um <laughs> post it and sort of just enjoy it no i had to kind of post it online for the world to see uh on instagram and and ask for them to watch it and like it and respond for me just to be able to like kind of cognitively appreciate or like unlock the fact that i am actually enjoying it uh, so i started sharing my journey online on instagram i would uh, share my felting journey just at this point you know it was friends a few very niche comedy fans following me about 6000 people and something happened and i don't know if it must have just been a sign of the times but the the repetitive motion of me stabbing and me focusing on this mundane boring task just completely enthralled my instagram followers and i started getting more and more followers and they were all just obsessively messaging me like you know keep stabbing we we love the noise of the needle going into the wall (laughs) this is so satisfying to watch i think maybe as the world was just kind of spinning out of control everyone just enjoyed being able to just invest in something that wasn't the news a way to unwind and just watch something incredibly stupid and meaningless and so I was loving the attention. I couldn't believe I had all, I was probably at about 10,000 followers over a week, you know, so I was, and they were all messaging me, all invested in this felting journey. And I, you know, created my little objects. I made my hedgehog wearing a top hat, my little kitten sitting in a teacup. Um, and maybe in about three weeks time. So we're, you know, we thought we were coming out of the lockdown, but it was only being extended. And I had finished the six packs of uh, little felted creations that I had bought from Daiso Japan and I had maybe at this point reached (laughs) 15,000 Instagram followers. I don't weigh my kind of uh, comedy career on the amount of followers that I have, but it was interesting to know that people were weirdly invested in this and I didn't know why. So they were like, well, what's next? You've got to keep felting. So I was like, well, I can't go into the shops. All the shops are closed. But if someone could drop off some wool to my house, maybe I could start making my own. Maybe I don't need to be bound by the Daiso packs with the instructions. And maybe I'm turning into not only just a hobbyist, but an artist. And maybe I could create my own felt creations, you know, no longer restrained by the, the packet, but, you know, just my imagination could take me far and wide. So... Instagram being the incredible community that it is, <laughs> um, someone dropped a massive box of unsp- like unrefined wool, coloured all sorts of colours, uh, on my front doorstep. They were offered They must have gone to a Steiner school because the Rudolf Steiner schools they all do felting, I guess, instead of maths or something. Uh, <laughs> so I started creating my own original pieces, and I was like, well. Maybe I should create little objects that are very representative of this time. So I made a little Jacinda Ardern, a little Dr. Ashley Bloomfield at their 1pm press briefings, which were you know, very popular TV at the time. I made a little bit of toilet paper, like a toilet paper roll. I made the Zoom logo. I made a Wi-Fi logo. I made hand sanitizer. It stretched over weeks and weeks. By this point now, I had reached... 30,000 followers. Everyone, the nation was invested in my ridiculous felting journey. And I started kind of losing a sense of myself as a comedian. I felt like maybe I'll never tell jokes again and maybe I'm going to run some craft shop in the middle of the country somewhere with a woman named Maureen, get a job at Spotlight or something. I have never had this level of engagement in anything that I've posted online before. And I didn't know the meaning behind the success of this. It was just this miraculous thing that had happened. I guess something happening in the world and then this funny little task that I was doing at the same time kind of synced up and it was a perfect marriage for people and it all made sense to them even though I kind of started to feel like I was losing my mind. By this point now, I had made maybe 25 felted objects and... My audience couldn't get enough. And it was very stressful to be in that position of being like, I don't know how much more I can turn out for you. Like I'm I'm kind of beginning to lose sight of all, this woolen, all these little woolen objects and I don't know what to do with these felt creations either. So I, I put it out onto Instagram. I say, what should I do with these felt creations? And it was almost unanimous. Everyone decided <laughs> they should go on a hat. I would say that was very indicative of how everyone was feeling mentally at the time, that a hat was the first thing that came to mind. Um, But it made sense to me too, to stick all these little felt creations on a hat. But of course, being the nature of this project, I was like, I I can't buy the hat. I will have to make the hat out of felt. Um, And so I started experimenting with wet felting techniques, which is um, to create a sheet of felt and you get the wool and you lay it in certain ways and then you roll it with bubble wrapper and soap and water for it to sort of solidify and matte and i immediately hated it and was like no this can't be the way about it but by this point new zealand had moved from level four to level three in terms of our lockdown which meant we had some new uh, less restrictions and we could now go into shops and which also meant spotlight was open I kind of thought now, maybe heading into Spotlight, (laughs) as in my opinion, personal opinion, you know, maybe one of the biggest names in the craft industry in New Zealand, that I would be somewhat of a celebrity going into a Spotlight shop. Spotlight is, if you don't know, like a craft shop, they sell fabric, they sell sewing gear, they sell, you know, all sorts of like embroidery tools. But uh, no, that's not the case with Spotlight. The, the women who own that place, who run the counter there, they're, they're very humbling. Uh, They'll they just see you as any customer and they, they really didn't have time for me. But I um, bought myself some sheets of felt and I thought, right, I'm going to make a hat out of this. And I bought myself a um, head bust that, you know, you would put like a wig on or, or a hat on. So I go home i start making my hat i don't know how to make a hat i don't have a history in millinery but i kind of figure okay well i this is i drew a picture of a hat and i was like well that would be a you know that's what a hat looks like from the front so i'll do it again because that's what a hat will look like from the back and then i'll just sew them together my partner who is uh, my fiance is an incredible sewer and um amazing like he's a designer he's so um, practical he's so good at this kind of stuff and watching his face as I just kind of guessed my way through a hat he was like biting his tongue the entire time like so wanting to help me but I knew this is something that I had to do myself and in my own way and my authentic approach to trying to create this hat would be its beauty and would be its charisma. <laughs> so. He kind of watches me as I draw a cut out a big circle out of felt and that could be the top of the hat and then draw the pictures of my hat and kind of, those are the sides and I sort of haphazardly sew it together, stabbing my finger a million times. And what I make is this very strange looking pink, light pink crown. And I bought myself some pink feathers and I was like, I think I can make some kind of regal, renaissance page boy crown thing like a a true creation of my own imagination with some sort of weird references of it being somewhat kind of regal i just thought that's what this stuff deserved i then uh, finish my hat it sort of fits my head but most importantly it sits on my polystyrene head bust that i bought from spotlight and i stitch all the little creations on the hat not only had i created this and developed this very invested social media audience who who was so in on this incredibly niche thing that i had made but i had found a purpose for these felt objects that i had made in a sort of state of distress and they belonged on the hat and the hat was a disaster like it doesn't look good but it made sense and it embodied this kind of frenzied panic of the lockdown and it had two pink feathers on the back of it and it somewhat looked regal as well especially when it sat on my head so I finished the hat and the audience was so satisfied with seeing something on Instagram on social media that wasn't a sponsored product wasn't an ad but was just a you know unique and authentic journey that they could invest in that wasn't trying to sell them anything and they were so grateful for it that I was like I need to kind of put a final full stop on this felt hat creation that i had made so i get an official portrait taken of me in it by my dear friend andy crown andy is known in new zealand as one of the top photographers for um actors and comedians so i put on this the nicer shirt i've got i go to la visa a cheap jewelry store in the mall and i buy myself this horrific red necklace And I put on my crown, and Andy and I take a series of portraits. I look like a young gay prince, and I look um, like the king of this felt pandemic kingdom. And I share it on Instagram, and the audience is so grateful to have that final chapter closed, and to have this entire felt journey kind of wrapped up so beautifully and I thought this is it like I've done it This couldn't get any better like this is the best thing I have ever made and it was so weirdly idiosyncratic like so kind of specific to me and the audience felt like they owned a part of it as well and I was like I don't know how but I wish I could find a way to share this hat with the country which is where things really turned up a notch for me. I was sitting at home just like on my phone. The hat is now like sitting in a pile of like old props and like forgotten Tupperware containers just like in the corner of my bedroom. And I get a DM, private message from, on my phone, from, on Instagram. And it's from Auckland Museum. The, they're a national museum. The, one of the biggest museums in the country. They have been following this felt journey on tenter Hooks. They're deeply invested. And more than that, they want to buy the felt hat off me for their permanent collection. It's like pinch me moment stuff. I couldn't believe it. Like I was like, this is exactly the answer I was looking for. A way for me to share my hat with all these people that have been so invested in this journey, all sort of 30,000 of them. I, didn't, I just couldn't think it could get any better until I get another DM, another private message on Instagram. And this time it is Te Papa, New Zealand's national museum in our capital city, Wellington. They too have been following the felt journey. They too are obsessed with the hat and they too wish to buy it for their permanent collection. I'm still somewhat locked in my house like the pandemic is still going on and I I can't believe what's going on like I and I don't know how to share the news with anyone but like I have two museums two of the biggest museums in New Zealand reaching out to me wanting to buy this hat for their permanent collection and it's I'm in this I'm in the midst of some kind of bidding war you know it's like pride and prejudice but rather than like Mr Darcy it's like a gay man in two museums and I don't know what to do about it and I sort of think about it and I talk to the museums and I explain the situation that I'm in and I say I think I'm just going to have to go about it the fairest way possible which is give it to the museum that asks first so I give the hat to Auckland Museum but not wanting Te Papa to feel left out I let them buy the portrait, the official portrait of me wearing the hat off me for their permanent collection, for their digital archives. So by the end of lockdown, while everyone was baking their loaves of bread and their numerous focaccia loaves, I had managed to get myself into two national museums. The money that they give me, they give me $500 each for each item and I'm able to donate that money to charity which feels good because it feels there's a little part of me that feels a little bit guilty about gaining so much off lockdown especially when it is such a trialling time for people being locked inside their houses so the hat gets delivered to Auckland Museum and we have this full journey um I meet the curator of their textiles department they're creating a kind of COVID collection it was this amazing moment of learning how museums now instead of just trying to historically collect stuff from the past they try and collect in current time as well so that they don't have to dig around so much you know in the future and uh but they're really keen on the hat and they want it to sort of be take pride of place in the museum somewhere which is just so surreal to me i mean i'm like if anything it's offensive to the other exhibits in the museum you know like There are some really worthy items in that museum. And then there's me with my disgusting little felt hat. Like, I've still got unpaid parking fines. Like, I don't deserve to be in a museum. It was amazing seeing the care that they put into stuff that they collect for their permanent archives. The hat gets frozen in some sort of cryogenic freezer for two weeks to kill all the bacteria inside of the hat in order to, you know, make sure that doesn't termites come out and start chipping away at it, the more sort of valuable, important items in the museum. And they have someone specially look after it, someone who knows about the, the the textile felt and how it needs to be cared for, how long it could be out on display for before it starts to deteriorate. I can't believe it, you know, like I'm just like, oh, it's so not worthy of that much care, that much consideration. And then I get an email from them saying, not only are we... Uh, collected the hat from you now but we also want to now put it on display in a, in a brand new wing that we've built for the museum that the wing wasn't built specifically for my hat the wing was being built regardless but they have this massive giant case and they don't know what to put in it and they've decided that my hat is the perfect item so now when you go to Auckland Museum it's still there you can go into the brand new wing of the Auckland Museum, and walk past a giant glass case, and inside that glass case is a humongous portrait of me, (laughs) my hat sitting regally on a plinth, that plinth costing more than all the materials I needed to make that hat in the first place. And a big write-up about me, as if I'm some sort of important, you know, textile historian. It's one of the most surreal experiences I've ever had. I don't think many people get to have the experience of seeing themselves in a museum exhibition. I mean, you're so used to history being something, you know, a hundred years of the, you know, in the past, not something that only happened a year ago. But I guess when you look at it, like this pandemic was, you know, the most defining, one of the most defining moments of our lives. The way like this journey that was so... um ridiculous like so stupid and like in many ways like a bad idea turned into be this thing that like opened so many doors for me and not just in the comedy world but like (laughs) like in the museum world or in the hobby and craft world and for me it was just this big lesson on like following my instincts or my own intuition I mean I wouldn't, I would never recommend someone to like start needle crafting, crafting and doing comedy at the same time and being like, well, it worked for me, it'll work for you. But I think like, especially in any kind of live art job, like you just, things are, things are trendy, things are in vogue and you want to be popular. So you try and adapt your style or your sense of humour to like what people are trying to absorb at the time, but actually like real success true success always comes from those who are just on their own path and forging their own voice. And um, yeah, I'm so grateful for my ridiculous little felting journey to sort of teach me that and remind me that the most power that and I can get as a performer is when I'm just following my own instincts. So there you go, listeners. <laughs> That's my story of how I started out as a stand-up comedian in 2020 and ended up being someone exhibiting in two national museums.
1: Find a link to the photograph of Chris wearing his crown titled, This Is How I Felt. It's in the episode notes. Or search for Chris Parker and Museum of New Zealand or Museum of Auckland. Hope you're enjoying the short-run comedy special on some of my best work. I'm Jane Rocker. Thanks for listening.